What does Australia's next generation of young leaders have to say about the future of India-Australia relations in a post-COVID world? And how do Indian scholars, scientists, practitioners and students factor in? You're listening to Shared Visions, the podcast that spotlights the Australian government's new Colombo plan and gets to the heart of these questions. Today, we speak with Charlie Hamra, a solicitor at the Crown Solicitor's Office in South Australia, and Amjad Khan, a consultant and researcher based in New Delhi. So my name's Charlie Hamra. I uh, was an NCP scholar, uh, specifically uh, to India uh, and fellow for India in 2016. Uh, I um, spent six months in New Delhi, studying firstly at Jamia Melia Islamia, studying political science. And then I was also interning at the Centre for Escalation of Peace. And now I um, have finished my law degree as well with my politics degree. And I'm working as a lawyer for the Crown Solicitor's Office in South Australia and working in environmental law and planning law. Well, I'm Amjad, uh, Amjad Khan, and uh, well, thank you for having me over here. I am currently uh, working as a consultant with various uh, research organizations and some corporates. Uh, I've done work in the past with other think tanks as well. Uh, Currently, I head something called the Asia Center, which focuses on technology policy research. Uh, I used to head the Center for Escalation of Peace, which is when I got to know Charlie. And, uh, you know, I think it's been a great experience for me getting to know Charlie over the years and starting in God knows, I think it was 2014, wasn't it? 2014 or 2015. So, um, yeah, and so we've stayed in touch. So you both just mentioned and I've read in the responses you wrote into us also that, you know, both of you met and collaborated at the Center of Escalation for Peace, which is where you were previously based, Amjad. Uh, yeah, just tell me a little bit about uh, in what capacity you were working together and what kind of projects you worked on and uh, just kind of like what, what was the modus operandi of the, of the organization? Just tell me a little bit about that. Should I take that one, Charlie? Yeah, that sounds great, Amjad. Yeah. But you're well, definitely very well placed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the CEP uh, or the Center for Escalation of Peace uh, was formed, I think, in the year 2013. So it was a relatively young organization when Charlie had joined. Um, so the CEP was set up with a mandate that, you know, let, let's uh, look at the, the term peace uh, and look at it in a similar way as to how you escalate war. So we, you know, the app... Peace isn't just the absence of war. You have to constantly nurture it and escalate it. So that was the notion behind it and the the, the strange name, but a very meaningful name, I would say. Um, so it's a niche think tank. It focused a lot on youth dialogues, uh, especially in the South Asian region, uh, principally. And I know it continues to do work in India and Bhutan. Uh, you know, they're two extremely close nations. But again, you know, you're not getting into dialogues in just areas where there's conflict. You're getting into a dialogue between countries where there's good relationships so that you always escalate those positivities and uh, make sure the relationships get to the next level. Um, So we used to do a lot of work on track two diplomacy, track 1.5 diplomacy, uh, 
youth exchanges. Uh, one of the programs that was associated with the CEP was something called the International Summer School, and Charlie was very much a part of that as well. Uh, I, it, my capacity was that uh, I was the chief executive of that organization. Uh, I had just helped start up a little kernel of an idea, and then it became this organization which had these powerhouses in the board, such as, you know, retired foreign secretaries, national security advisors, deputy national security advisors, all from India. And uh, yeah, then Charlie joined us very early on in our journey as, uh, well, his designation might have been that of an intern, but he was much more than that. And he was involved in pretty much every aspect of the organization. Um, Yeah, Charlie, I I think that's where you come in. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just too kind to me. Uh, the, uh, the way that I uh, came across was I had made a connection in the University of Adelaide, which is um, my alma mater, of Professor Panendra Jain, who had a colleague in Professor Nissa Al-Hook. Professor Al-Hook... Uh, had connections with the Centre for Escalation of Peace and with the International Summer School as well. And so that was how I made the introduction. And Mm -hmm. it was a great fit for my time in New Delhi because, uh, as Amjad mentioned, a big focus of the CEP was on education and on uh, education exchanges. And so I got to meet a lot of young people from all around India and also from the region, from Bhutan and also from other parts of the world at the summer school where we all sort of came together to learn about Indian politics. Right, and you, uh, in the responses you wrote into us, you, uh, Charlie, you also mentioned like the the academic environment that you found yourself in at JMI was incredibly nurturing and you, you seem to have learned a lot like just from the immediate cohort you were surrounded by and you know you also mentioned the things like linguistic diversity like within the classroom and you still maintain uh you're still in touch with a lot of your former classmates through whatsapp and everything so uh yeah just tell me a little bit more about like your personally like the kind of experience you had and um you know uh, i guess how it shaped you and what you're doing today yeah thanks Mark. it was definitely an interesting experience going over and uh, being sort of the only Westerner in the class and mainly really even on campus, uh, which was definitely, it was was great to be placed out of sort of out of my comfort zone and to stick out like a, which is a cliche, but it sort of definitely was how it was. Mm -hmm. And sort of to be, you know, very much, uh, in an in a brand new environment, it was very, as you say, a very collegiate atmosphere. Amjad, I, I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, you mentioned, you know, your your consulting work, like mostly in Track One Point Five and Track Two uh, uh, diplomacy. And uh, I've been in conversation with a few others uh, through the course of making this podcast, who are also talking about the exact same thing: Track Two mm-hmm. diplomatic initiatives. And uh, obviously, you know, with the new agreements being signed between the PM of India and PM of Australia new strategic uh, defense cooperation agreements all you know there's there seems to be a lot of synergy right now um but you know i, I personally i'm not so knowledgeable because i'm not i'm not really in the policy space so 
Um, I just wanted to, if you could just shed some light on that and tell, tell me about like your experiences in this regard, like what kind of consulting work you've been doing recently, uh, specifically about Indian-Australian relations, maybe? In the India-Australia uh, relationship, honestly, I'll, uh, my work has been fairly limited. So, okay. uh, but it has been, I mean, I've been involved in track two and track 1.5 processes with, uh, well, Bhutan, I, I had mentioned, uh, even our neighbor Pakistan is another one. I've been involved with some, a few other countries as well. And it's been, uh, it's a challenging process. It's uh, even, even like I said, that you may have the friendliest of relationships with, with a particular country, uh, but these are important conversations that go on. Yes, they may not be at the track one level, which is, you know, when your two ministers meet or the two bureaucrats meet and they, they sign on the dotted line. I think these are platforms which give uh, eminent people for both sides. Uh, you know, they could be from uh, business, they could be from civil society, they could be from academia, journalism, the technical spaces. Um, you know, for them to get together and iron out, okay, you know what, these are some issues that may come up or that may already be there. Or these are some opportunities that we must uh, leverage right now in order to take the relationship, bilateral relationship between two countries to another level. So I know that there are, of course, uh, several uh, track two platforms, track perhaps track 1.5 platforms, which are in place already between Australia and India. There's also, I think, a youth uh, forum between Australia and India, yeah. which, which, which exists. Uh, I know that they identify young young leaders from both countries, and I think it's a fascinating and very relevant thing that that they are doing because it is, after all, the next generation that that can take these conversations forward. Uh, they come with less baggage uh, in terms of you know any past issues that may have come up. Uh, they come with fresh ideas and perspectives on where the relationship can head, and they account for things that 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 will you know, be relevant to their futures as well. I mean, you know, so let's say uh, someone who has lived their life perhaps is not, uh, I mean, there are cases where they are, but perhaps they may not be the best advocates for sustainability. And I, I think that's a, that's a concept that Charlie can go on on because of his current role. Or there, there may be certain aspects related to, you know, activism in uh, various fields to foster social cohesion. Uh, you know, People who will be living on this planet or in these countries for the next several decades, I think they they can play a lot more of a meaningful role in uh, pursuing these. And between Australia and India, I think the the fact is that uh, you know you're in this larger Asia uh, Asian region. If you yeah, the Indo Pacific, yeah, the Indo Pacific. If you take an expanded definition of Asia, stretching all the way from the Red Sea to the Pacific Ocean. Um, you know, and I think the cooperation that's that's there recently, like you mentioned, that uh, uh, the the strategic strategic partnership that's been put in place between the two countries, the there are two vibrant democracies in this region. Uh, there are other platforms where there are, you know, I think that there's more and more cooperation, which is more likely. I think everyone has been talking about the quad, not just of late. I think right. of late, of course, it's uh, a lot more relevant, but over the years. There's also talk of, uh, you know, the, a D10 uh, here and there, which is a group of 10 democracies that can come together. Um, you know, so th those are obviously you know, to get a grouping of countries together, possibly for a common purpose. You know, maybe it's uh, about another uh, another country. 
uh, you know, if one talks about the proverbial dragon in the room. But uh, yeah, other than that, I think Australia and India have anyway more than enough common values, shared perceptions to to build on. Uh, so that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah, and there's already you know there's already such a large like pre-existing network of students going back and forth between India and Australia. There's already so much talent uh, being exchanged in the corporate sector and the tech sector. You know, from what from what I've learned, so it, it's almost as if there's already you know like there's already all this potential. It just has to be tapped. Right? Yeah. Uh, sorry, Charlie, did you want to add something to that? I'd, I'd I'd need to agree with you and say that with the the quad uh, meeting this week, I think even today the um, quads meeting and uh, the flow on effects from that and from that passage, as you say, of uh, of the students going both ways, which is you know something that the uh, New Colombo plan has been so good to try and say, well, let's not have this be a one-way street uh, into uh, Australia. Let's have it go both ways. And I've been a very uh, grateful recipient of that program and beneficiary of that program on building on what Amjad said about the Track 2, Track 1.5 dialogue between India and Bhutan that CEP facilitated even the unintended flow-on effects of that at such a sort of a really granular level in that as someone involved with the facilitating NGO for that dialogue, I, as an Australian, came to meet the Bhutanese delegation, get to know them, get to know the people assisting them from Bhutan. And, you know, these are people that I maybe wouldn't have ever been able to meet in another forum. And that's increased my understanding just through the program, through the NCP program and this internship has increased my understanding of Bhutan and, and, and given me some, you know, people to people connections there which would never have happened. So it can happen to not just the sort of first order, but at a second order and a third order and a fourth order, the connections can be at so many levels. And I think that the challenge is now in the COVID, post-COVID sort of paradigm to say, well, we are Australia and India, two countries that are quite good at getting individuals to transit back and forth and to export education, uh, but it will be a matter of it's it's the challenge remains now how to do that going forward. That's a great segue into what I wanted to ask anyway, which is uh, in this particular you know where we're talking when we're talking about uh, you know implementing good policy, implementing smart policy, working alongside other stakeholder networks, uh, you know in India, you know from Australia and vice versa. Uh, how how is that like? Has that really changed a lot, or how has it been impacted by uh, you know the new by by the COVID nineteen pandemic? I at the moment haven't been working in that space so much. Uh, the work that I'm doing at the moment in my professional life is uh, certainly focused on the state that I'm in at the moment, uh, and so can't speak 
with any sort of uh, knowledge of how it's been impacting professional networks and even uh, to an extent student networks. The only insight I've had is other students that I know because I'm not that far out of not that long out of university and still have uh, sort of networks of peers going through the university system who are in some ways I think experiencing a sort of disillusionment at the fact that well you know what I the benefit that I had of going and studying abroad uh, supported by the NCP uh, they might not necessarily that they won't be having in certainly not in the same way that in the same sort of carefree way that I had it if if if, and that is expanded out to other sort of students that I know that would otherwise be contemplating any sort of study abroad whether that's in the Indo-Pacific or beyond it's you know it's going to look different for a very long time to come and uh, with our student you know the that flow of information that happens through student exchange and overseas study is so important, I think, to the sort of fabrics of, and not just the fabric of the lives of young people, but also to the development of young people looking forward. So, you know, not, not just sort of the way that the, the makeup of society is now, in, in that, you know, not having, for us, it's not having lots of um, overseas students in major centres in Australia, which we would otherwise have. But it's, so it's not only that, but it's what, what does India look like? What does Australia look like uh, without its studentry having had these foundational experiences Overseas, I don't know. Amjad studied overseas. I studied overseas, uh, and it, and I'm sure, you know, I can speak for myself when I say that that it, it's been a very foundational experience to the way that I approach so many things now. No, absolutely. I think uh, I, I'll just give you an example that uh, this this year we obviously the the international summer school program that Charlie took part in after his internship was over, so we could not host that because of the ongoing lockdown at that time or the pandemic situation, even if, you know, uh, travel was possible, I think it would have been almost impossible and probably even irresponsible to host a program such as this. So in that sense, what happened was that uh, various partner universities started approaching us asking that, okay, you know, it's not happening. That's fine. Um, Can we take this program online? And whereas, of course, there's immense benefits to online education in terms of reach and uh, access, but for the purposes that, you know, pr- uh, platforms such as a, a New Colombo Plan have been set up or the International Summer School has been set up, where we want that uh, these programs become a melting pot of different cultures, different countries, uh, you have to have to experience another country. And it's, you know, the education is not just limited to an institution such as Jamia Millia Islamia, as rich as an institution as it is, or a program like the ISS. Uh, the education is all about your experiences in that other country, uh, getting to know people, getting to understand their perspectives. I mean, I, I can't tell you like Charlie, uh, 
uh, Charlie's example was this, that uh, when his uh, professor from Adelaide was uh, suggesting that, okay, should he, uh, he's coming to India for sure. He's been selected for this fantastic uh, India fellowship as part of the NCP. Uh, where should he go? So his professor had some relations with the uh, uh, private universities here in India, which have incredible infrastructure. Some of them have very good faculty as well, uh, but they are just not representative of the nation as a whole. And, and you know, you need to experience India for what it is. Uh, and that's why I think at some level, you know, I got talking with him, Professor Nassar al-Haq got talking with him and we said that, look, uh, if you want to put Charlie out of his comfort zone and if he's, Charlie's comfortable doing that, then an institution such as JMI, there, there are several other good, good public institutions as well, is what's good for him. And, uh, you know, I think it would have been hard infrastructurally. Of course, we know we know the uh, uh, the issues being faced by public institutions, several of them. Uh, it would have been hard on several other fronts as well. But the fact that Charlie went through an experience like this, I think has really, it's going to hold him in good stead for, for the rest of his life. I mean, just one last small example was that by the end of Charlie's time in uh, in India, uh, he could haggle better than any Indian when it comes to auto rickshaws as well. So uh, I don't know how he used to get those deals, but uh, yeah, he did he did a bit of a, a master class for the rest of the students at the International Summer School on how. <laughs> so Charlie, well done. I hope you've continued that haggling skill. <laughs> you make me so cheap. I, I do think when I was negotiating my rent uh, for my apartment, I did have my friends would say, my uh, Indian friends would say to me afterwards when I told them how much I was paying, they said, that's pretty good for a white boy. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty good. You did pretty good. Uh, they, they, they said it's still shameful how much you're paying, but pretty yeah. good Pretty good for a white boy. Uh, so, but, and I look, I agree a hundred percent with what Anjad uh, said. The what I found from doing the international summer school after my internship was that to do so that was conducted on site at JNU, and to be at JNU even was. So it was great to actually be located there and to see all the other faculty buildings and to say, oh, well, you know, recognise this and that and the other, you know, courtyards and all the grounds and to say, oh, you know, you've seen, you know, you'd see it on the news one night and then, you know, be there. Actually, in person is very different to uh, to doing it in a digital forum. Uh but which is to say, you know, and maybe I, I don't know what the answer is there as to how to develop a, you know, digital delivery of some of these uh, various different uh, experiences which would otherwise be happening in the physical domain, how, how to render them into the digital space is a challenge. I think maybe it's not. It, look, it's not one for my area of expertise. I'm sure you know people who work more sort of in that um, IT space would have, and in that in sort of professions that understand. I think more about how to get people engaged online. Uh, 
it's it's going to be a huge huge challenge and i don't know how how exactly we how exactly we meet it but i think that you know it's initiatives such as this is being able to you know we're recording this from you know simultaneously in uh australia and and in india being able to have these conversations is still such an important thing to want to keep up with and so you know hopefully as the technology gets better and better we'll be able to rebuild some of what's lost when there's not an ability to be able to meet in person and actually you know break bread or have tea mm-hmm. yeah uh, I, i guess it's it's just all about working within the limitations that are now present in front of us right so mm. I think that for me the new colombo plan was a way to take everything that i was starting to learn in my undergraduate degree and displace it entirely take it out completely out of where it was in uh, in sort of the setting of uh, the university of adelaide where i was to and but to take everything that i'd already learned uh and you know there was things that i knew and things that i didn't things that i thought that i knew that i didn't and take them and relocate them transplant them into a different institution in a different country and to then take all of what i could learn in the time that i was in country and try and compile it and see where it fit with everything that i already had uh and there was so much additional it was certainly not representative of the amount of time i think i learned more while i was there in india than i did in a lot of most of the rest of my undergraduate uh just because you're spending your entire days it's not like when you're at home where what you're doing might take up such a small slice of your active brain capacity because you're so used to the rhythm of daily life and this new rhythm is so very different i feel like i had to sort of relearn how just even how to walk the street how to catch public transport how to order food how to go to a restaurant how to go to a general store uh and how to go to university had to relearn in a, and and it, through that process of relearning it made me question things that i'd taken from back in australia and also then take all of this new learning and try and make sense of it all and I'm sort of continuing to try and make sense of it all going forward as far as why I would recommend it well it's because it has changed my perspective entirely on my place in Australia Australia's place in the world my place in the world and for especially for, for anyone who has an interest to spit in 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 those things in 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 your place in your country your country's place in the world your place in the world uh it's a 
fantastic opportunity and you know i thank the new colombo plan secretariat and uh the commonwealth government for making the opportunity available for um young people like me to be able to go and do these things because they're fairly incredible experiences and 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 they're sort of they're very, very difficult to replicate i don't know anyone anyone that i've spoken to that's done a new colombo plan scholarship or a um, short program with the new colombo plan uh it's everybody has very very different experiences and i think that it's that uh real richness of experiences that mm-hmm. uh, have added to the culture coming coming home